Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Light. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to another edition of Full Slate as we're hitting the college hardwood hot and heavy. My name is Greg Frank, at Undercover Greg for all my picks. I do have to pat myself on the back a little bit. I've been red hot both on this podcast and overall it was a very good Super Bowl for me. But this podcast means college basketball, which means Lucha Larry. I know him as Bill Christie. As I said, you know him as Lucha Larry on Gambling Twitter, at Larry's Locks 2. Bill, we're rolling pretty good here. Let's keep this thing going. Yeah, I I hope to help out a little bit, man. I mean, your back <laughs> must be hurting. Kudos to you. What was it, a 10-0 day you had uh, 10 and 0 on, on Saturday? 10-0 on with Ooh. six of the picks being on this pod. Beautiful. Yeah, I think overall on the pod we, we made out pretty well. I forget what I finished with my picks on there. I know I had overall a very good Saturday uh, that kind of dug me out of a hole, but Speaking of holes, I just dug myself into one to start the week today with, and I know you were on the same side with Maryland being that line so, yeah. so low, you know, and our typical unranked at home versus a ranked opponent. But Crappy line, I mean, yeah. Got to give credit to Ohio State, man. You know, like I've, I've, I've mentioned many times on this podcast when, when things happen to teams like taking a bad loss or guys going down, how it sometimes can be a blessing in disguise. And for Ohio State, it seems to be that way. They had Sotos go down and a couple other guys that they lost that were, you know, big pieces of the puzzle early on in the season. And it really allowed some of these other guys to grow in their roles and kind of take it over. And, I mean, you look at tonight and, you know, they didn't skip a beat. They played incredible. They shot well from deep. They defended well and, you know, unfortunately, Maryland let me down in a big, big way uh, to start the week. Yeah, EJ Liddell didn't even do a whole lot for them inside, and it didn't seem to matter. I mean, Kyle Young was taking over inside for them. And, uh, yeah, I, I think there's definitely something to be said for what appears to be a little bit of a flat spot, just given on what where that line was going. And Maryland obviously is sitting on the bubble and uh, did not really uh, bring that urgency for – the better part of the last 30 minutes of the game. I mean, Maryland got off to a nice start and then uh, really folded pretty quickly. So, hey, Buckeyes are looking more and more legit as the wins keep piling up. And, you know, Bill, we've talked about it before. That's life in the Big Ten. You're going to get hot and everybody's yeah. going to take notice or you could fall off the face of the earth pretty quickly. 
um, and Ohio State certainly doing the former. Yeah, absolutely. So let's brush that off our shoulders and get going with uh, with our looks into the slate tomorrow. Hopefully we can give out some more winning tickets for everybody. Yes, and I actually want to start, what better than to start with a 4.30 Eastern time tip-off as I want to go to Cameron Indoor for my first pick with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish making the trip to Durham to take on that team from Durham, the Duke Blue Devils. Ah, uh, Durham College, that's right, yes. There you go. Yeah. Notre Dame catching seven. That's how you know it's not football when Notre Dame's a seven-point dog against Notre, against Duke, excuse me. Um, total on the game, though, is 148.5, and, and that's where I'm going to look. We don't give out a lot of totals on this podcast, but um, just kind of digging into the game a little more. And I, I looked, first off, Bill, my initial lean, just in seeing that number, but holy cow, the Blue Devils are given seven? What the hell? Like, mm-hmm. we've talked ad nauseum about these Blue Bloods and how they are being priced in the marketplace, whether it's Kansas tonight, and they got us the cash as a four-and-a-half-point favorite against a recently into-the-top-25 Oklahoma State team, or if it's Kentucky, and we'll get into that a little later as they take on the Razorbacks of Arkansas. It just doesn't seem like the market is adjusting because they think oddsmakers know that they don't really need to. And so I was looking at that line and thinking, well, initially, you know, I would play Duke because, again, they don't look good at all, and they're laying seven. What's going on there? But we talked, we've talked plenty of times before about how that logic can't necessarily apply to these blue blood programs. It didn't make me run to the window with Notre Dame, and so instead I think I'm going to play this game, or not I think, I am going to play this game over 148.5. Because my thinking is this, if Duke has tapped out like we think they may have, and it was a good handicap from you on Saturday, uh, well, Friday night into Saturday morning, uh, taking Carolina, um, if Duke has truly tapped out, then my biggest concern would be obviously on the defensive end of the floor, where... You know, we talk so often about that side of the floor being more effort and intensity and just desire to win and intangibles and things like that. Well, not a whole lot of that is going in Duke's favor right now as they continue to kind of muddle through this very mediocre season. Uh, And so then the question to me came, well, all right, well, if I don't really like this side, but I think that Duke has kind of, you know, going on – you know, half pace here, let's say, or as far as just their level of interest, then can Notre Dame score enough here to get over this total? And sure enough, the Irish 17th in the nation in offensive efficiency. So while Notre Dame is certainly not a team to, you know, write home about, they can score. And Duke is 20th in the nation in offensive efficiency. Duke opponents, and I think this maybe speaks to where things are going for the Blue Devils, have scored at least 68 points in eight of their last nine games. Notre Dame has hit that number, 68 or more, in six of its last seven. And the last thing here that I'll add as a pro-Notre Dame side as far as getting me over this total, Notre Dame has shot uh, shoots 39% from the three-point line, which is 15th in the nation and second in the ACC. And not that I'm taking Notre Dame here, but, Bill, we talk so often with dogs about cashing in at your freebies and keeping yourselves in the game at the charity stripe. Notre Dame, six, 76% from the line, that's third in the ACC. So if I think that they can hit enough free throws and hit enough threes to do their part and score their points, then I think that that's where I'm going to go here. As I said, Really tricky side for me to handicap, but I do think this game goes over the total and the winner ends up with 85, 90 points. Yeah, I like I like where you're looking at this one. Um, if I'm going to take the total at all, I would definitely be playing the over. Um, not much fear out of it being a funky time. I know some people like right. to play that in as a factor. I, mean, um, I, I look at that more if it's like a Saturday at like 11 a.m. local or something. Yeah, exactly. Or that type of thing. Exactly, and yes, uh, you did mention I I did do a decent job of handicapping that list. 
game with North Carolina playing Durham here. Uh, so that was very, very nice to see that play out the way that I expected it to. In a way, I mean, I, I'll, I'll and what Carolina ended up scoring like over ninety in regulation. Yeah, and the thing was, I had said in our our last uh, episode that I wouldn't be surprised if North Carolina jumped on them early, got up ten plus, and that would be it. And sure enough, they went up up by ten, thirteen, I think, early. And I'm like, oh, here we go. But credit, it to was the, a competitive game, but you definitely yeah, have the. Yeah, it came back, and like and like we said before, like no matter what the rankings are in that rivalry, it's always a competitive game. Uh, it was just weird. I think it was the first time, honestly, um, since we've dealt with COVID, that I was like, "Wow, this is weird to watch this game with yeah. no with yeah. no fans." Because of if, if any environment um, across all sports, like that, that's the one where it's like right. It's just chaos the whole time, and to not have it was was strange. Um, it almost kind of felt like it was a, a scrimmage. You know, I'll be honest. Um, though, I like. I don't. I'm, I mean, we're both sports fans. Like, I don't need to have money on a game to watch it. You know, mm-hmm. right now I'm sitting here watching Rafa Nadal play tennis. Played tennis in high school, and he's one of my favorites. So you know, it's not. And I think that though, when there's Duke Carolina, like it does not matter where my money is. More often than not, I'm going to watch the game. But this yeah. year on Saturday, I did not have those feelings. And it, it was disappointing because the two teams obviously are not very good. No fans. You know, that can kind of be the saving grace is you know you're going to get a raucous Cameron or, you know, mm-hmm. Chapel Hill's going to be going nuts. You don't have that. I guess Carolina's starting to play. They're not starting to. They've actually played pretty well the last five weeks or so here. But, mm-hmm. again, just not the same. No, no, no. Not at all. Um and I, I didn't have a play going into this, but I, I got a feeling I'm going to twist my own arm a little bit and, and take the points with Notre Dame just to fade fade Duke a bit. But even so, more so, looking at it again, like you mentioned, they they shoot the ball really well from deep, yeah. and Duke Duke does a terrible job in defending it. Um, according to Ken Palm, they're 322 in the country, uh, allowing 38.4 percent from deep, um, and that's just slightly below the average of Notre Dame. So you figure if that's if that evens itself out there, I mean, I don't mind a team shooting almost 40% from three throughout the game. I mean, look at what Ohio State did tonight. If it's anything like that, I mean, Notre Dame could easily get this W, forget the seven points. And like we said, these blue blood programs, I just don't think they're adjusting the lines. And like you said, they don't have to. I mean, the public still comes in on, on the – Especially now that football's over. How many people haven't watched a college basketball game all year and are going to start betting these teams? 100%. You're 100% right. Last thing, Bill, before we get to our next pick, which happens to also be in the ACC, um, I'm just curious. Like, we mentioned Carolina starting to play better. Um, I I almost got there today, and the game ended up getting postponed, so – it didn't matter. I almost got there with Miami, just thinking that Carolina might be a little fat and happy off of the Duke win. Um, but then I rem- kind of caught myself and remembered, because I'm kind of in this mode now where I just think every brand program or Blue Blood is not doing well. And then I did kind of catch myself and think, oh, well, Carolina actually starting to figure it out, it looks like. I'm curious, do you think of all these teams uh, that are, you know, the perceived Blue Bloods, are they one that you think – maybe is trending in the right direction here, or was that just, you know, and, and, or were you going to take Miami, or would, did you have nothing in that game? Like, did you think that Carolina's coming back down to earth? Yeah, I think if I was going to play that game, I would have ended up playing Miami. Like you said, it would have been a comeback-to-earth game. They expended a lot of energy against Duke. Again, it's the rivalry. They got up for it, um, and then they did all that awesome partying afterwards. Right. <laughs> so, a little too know, much. Like, yeah, exactly. So, like, that would have led it led me to Miami a bit, but yeah, I would think that North Carolina is that one team that seems to be trending in the right way. Um, nothing flashy about them. They just kind of just play bully ball more than anything. They're, they're so big on the inside. Um, they could be a team that sneaks in there from the ACC. I can't believe that I'm saying that. The right. Team sneaking in from the ACC, and it's Carolina. Um, but just look at them. I mean, Virginia, Florida State, Virginia Tech, they look to be good. Uh, probably Louisville as well, uh, but Carolina. I mean, it's they're twelve and six. It's not a terrible record. Um, yeah, I, so I mean, that's I why with that game, it. like I was very close to pulling the trigger on Miami, 
But then I, like I said, kind of stopped myself. And obviously the game never happened tonight. But I kind of caught myself and said, eh, you know, I think I'll sit this one out because Carolina just overall has been playing well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. They've been on a, you know, besides a little hiccup against Clemson, outside of that, they've been playing really, really right. solid basketball. Exactly. Let's stay in the ACC and, a matter of fact, stay in the state of North Carolina. We're going to talk about one of the teams uh, that is maybe a little lesser uh, you know, of a program, not a little for sure, but uh, they got some history down there in Raleigh as the North Carolina State Wolfpack welcome in the Syracuse Orange, and we're seeing North Carolina State laying a point and the hook. It looks like right now, total of 148.5. Bill, this is your spot, and you like the Wolfpack. Yeah, I'm going to be taking the Wolfpack in this one. Um, let's see, Syracuse 1 and 5 on the road. 0-4 as a dog, and all four of them being on the road as road dogs. Uh, Al NC State, after a W, they are 4-1 and against the spread. And Syracuse has just been ice cold um, against the spread on the road, really. 0-6, their last six versus a team with a winning home record, uh, which NC State is. 0-5 on the road uh, versus teams with greater than, 50%, greater than a 60 win percentage at home. And then also, oh, and four, their last four road games. Like, everything on the road has just been a mess here for the Orange. Um, and then you look at uh, at the Wolfpack here, and they're, I don't want to say they're a team that, kind of like we were saying, is a little bit on the rise within the ACC. Uh, but they're not, I would, they're not having a down year, really. It's hard to say that with them only being eight and six, or eight and seven, I'm sorry. But, um, there wasn't much expected out of this team to begin the season anyway, but when they're going up against this team like Syracuse, like I said, who's had all these struggles on the road, and you look at it, it's a, it's a small line in NC State's favor here. To me, it just seems like it's going to be a play where, yeah, it might be a tight game, but NC State having the advantage of Syracuse just being so abysmal on the road. Um, and they look, like, they look like they played decent against Boston College last game. And it's also a revenge spot. They just lost to Syracuse by three um, at the Carrier Dome. So, like, the revenge spot, the fact that they've struggled on the road, the Orange, is going to lead me to play in the NC State in this one. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to fight you on this one for sure. I definitely think that if I were to play the game, NC State would be the side. Um, I just think kind of general rule of thumb here, Bill, when we're talking about these mediocre-ish type teams in the power conferences where, you know, nothing really scares you about either one of these teams if you see them on the schedule. But you, I think you hit on something that's important that I love to look at with these kinds of teams, and it's the home road splits. When, I mean, even tonight, right, we talked at the beginning of the pod about Ohio State and a former ACC team, Maryland, and, you know, we're talking about how, you know, that's a crappy line and you know Maryland at home on the bubble this that and the other thing and that's against Ohio State who's red hot and the top five team in the country now so what I'm getting at here is when you have a line like this that's very short and you have teams that you know are not very good all together but there's a drastic home road split I tend to trust that a little more because you know especially winning on the road fans are no fans there's a level of belief, confidence, you know, a lot of intangibles that go into, you know, winning on the road. And I think it has to, we, how many times do we talk about like buttoned up programs that you know are going to play hard night in and night out? Well, when you're talking about teams, you know, further down their conference standings, those necessarily aren't always those teams. There's a reason they're further down is because maybe they, you know, check out at times or they don't play a full 40 minutes. And I think that all applies to a Syracuse team here that hasn't been good on the road, now has to make the trip to Raleigh. If they are to get behind, I don't see them really fighting back much is the point I'm making. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, um, again, that's why I'd be playing NC State. Just given the one. Sure. No, for sure. Definitely not much of a pushback for me. And, Bill, I don't know if this is by design or not. I will say that this is something that I've noticed just with the picks that we've given out. I feel like we're giving out a lot of short lines, which, I mean, honestly, like, I kind of like it that way. I mean, I, I don't, I want my interest to be aligned with the team's interest that I'm betting on more often than not. Yeah, it's, it's funny you said that, too, because when I was going through 
the card for tomorrow, I was thinking the same thing, and I have personally played a few games on this pod where I'm playing a little bit of a heavy favorite. I can remember Baylor um, sure. as a heavy favorite, and, and another team I can't place it right now. But that same that same day, I played another team that was a pretty high favorite, and I, and I lost both of them. Um, but it's it's. I imagine they both won straight up. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's and uh, Baylor was one where look at they were blowing them out and let them come back in. Right. When you're playing those big numbers, that that's what gets scary. It's like you just right. don't know what's going to happen come late in the game. The last get ten those... minutes of the game, you're sweating and the team isn't. Right, exactly. And that it, that's a really hard thing to handicap. Like when I'm taking a game where I'm taking a big line, I expect that to be a an absolute blowout. Like yeah, you know, like they, there's no like you know. Even though there's still another half, like you know, by halftime almost. At least I feel that way too, and I'm giving a lot of points. Like I need the favorite to come out and dominate that first half and be up by like twenty five thirty by halftime. Something even thirty's right. a lot, but twenty to twenty five by half, so that they can even play the second half on level terms with said massively inferior opponent, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, that, that makes it a little bit harder to handicap. So. You know, I think that we both had that kind of mindset where, like you said, you want to take a team that kind of has the same interest as you. They're going to try and win the game. They're not going to right. care about the spread so much, and, you know, that factors into the play a bit. Which is just where I'm going with my next pick. Briefly to touch on the Atlantic 10, another early start time here. We talked about Duke and Notre Dame playing at 4.30. Bill's NC State pick goes off at 6.30 Eastern. We're going to go back up to 5 o'clock Eastern time where I want to go to the state of Ohio uh, and take the Dayton Flyers as a short home dog of one and a half points against the Virginia Commonwealth Rams. Total in this game of 133. Uh, but I'm going to be on Dayton here. Flyers 7-3 straight up and against the spread the last 10. Rams are 8-2 and two straight up. Only 3-7 and seven against the spread the last 10. And VCU also 2-4 and four against the number on the road this year. Talked about home road splits, and particularly in a conference like the A-10. Right now in Joey Brackett's later, latest uh, bracket, excuse me, Lenardi's got one A-10, one A-10, one A-10 team in, and that's the Bonnies getting the auto bid. Uh, VCU is sitting right on that bubble, and I've talked plenty of times before. I know we had Maryland tonight. But I find myself in the month of February betting against bubble teams a lot more frequently than I do betting on them just because I don't always find that urgency to be a positive. In some ways, I look at that as, well, you're in that spot for a reason. And that's kind of where I'm going with VCU. I know that I mentioned they've been getting it done straight up. But just a general rule of thumb in uh, football and basketball particularly because those are the two sports where we have these spreads that we look at when we're handicapping – um, when I see a team that's winning a lot straight up but not covering a lot, that, to me, screams fade when there is an opportunity to, at this kind of a short price like we're seeing here where VCU is a one-and-a-half-point road favorite. Because, and we kind of saw it all second half of the football season with the Kansas City Chiefs. They were mm-hmm. not covering, not covering, not covering, and really in cruise control the whole second half of the season. It continued into the playoffs with the Cleveland game, and right when you thought they were putting it together against Buffalo – we saw what happened in the Super Bowl. So that's just something I look at and think, well, okay, the average person might say, oh, well, they're winning straight up, so I'm, that means when I do get this short line, I'm getting them at a discount, and I'm going to bet on them. I look at that the other way and say, well, they're not exceeding expectations in these games by not covering the numbers. Now when I can get them at a short price point, I am going to be more inclined to fade said team. And that is where I'm at with VCU. Revenge spot for Dayton, having lost by 23 points to VCU a little over two weeks ago on January the 23rd. Um, and I think the bottom line is just to close the book on the whole bubble team thing. Like I expect these teams to choke in these short line spots more than I do them to find a way to win the game. Uh, and that's why I like to fade them. Dayton revenge spot, by the way, that line a couple of weeks ago was six and a half for VCU. Granted, the game was in Richmond, but now it's all the way down to one and a half. And it's obviously only been a few weeks later. Dayton's had a couple of nice wins since then, uh, but nothing's been super impressive about VCU. So I'm inclined to think, as I said, with the degree of them not covering, I'm inclined to think that this move is correct. 
even though obviously they're flipping sites and playing in Dayton. Uh, but still, five points with no fans initially seemed like a lot. And the more you dug into it, the more I think it makes sense. Flyers extract a bit of revenge. They win this game outright. Yeah, you know, I'm not even going to analyze any more on this one. I'm just going to start tailing you until you <laughs> finally cool off. The more I'm thinking about it, like, what am I even doing? Um, but no, I, I think I might end up taking Dayton here as well. You might be talking me into it a bit. Seven and one, their last eight versus teams with winning straight up records. So they're getting up for those games where teams have decent records. And that one would have been VCU. Correct. And the revenge spot, like you mentioned, the line being six, going all the way down to one, after they get blown out by 20 plus. It, don't, it doesn't add up to me. Yeah, I like the Flyers in this one as well. Um, and I would likely be playing it. Not sure in the unit size just yet, but. You talked me into it, and my God, nobody's hotter than you, I think, right now. So, you know, that's probably the best thing I can do after a night like I've had tonight. So we'll follow you on that one, and I will go. And I'm going to actually change my mind on my next pick. I can't believe I'm doing this again. But I can't. On that note, we're going to go to the SEC. About a three-hour drive from Dayton to Lexington, where we have the Kentucky Wildcats and Coach Cal's team laying the deuce at home against the Arkansas Razorbacks, a total in this game of 142. Uh, And, Bill, you're going to initially lean to Kentucky, but now you're jumping on the Razorbacks? What's going on here? I don't know. I was initially on the Razorbacks. (laughs) Then I was back on the Kentucky. And then I'm leaning back on Arkansas like – I don't know. I can take this either way and fight you tooth and nail uh, if you want to play the other side. I mean, I think I'm going to end up playing Kentucky, to be honest, because Arkansas is just in the typical look-ahead spot, and I can't believe we're saying look-ahead and Kentucky in the same <laughs> sentence, right. but we are. You're uh, overlooking Missouri. Kentucky? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's Arkansas being... 15 years ago when McFadden was there. <laughs> yeah, really. Exactly. But uh, Arkansas's got number 10 Missouri up next. It's 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 hard to swallow this one, but, you know, the money really changed the line already. It opened up as Kentucky as a very small favor, or small dog at home, and now they're last, I think I saw, they're up to a three-point favorite. Um, and look, Arkansas's played well as a road favorite, you know, but the fact the line flip now changes that script a bit. I'm not quite sure what they've done on the road as dogs. Um, but this it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, Arkansas being 52nd in offensive efficiency, 20th in defensive efficiency, Kentucky's offense has just been abysmal. Um, they're 108th in the country. Defensively, though, they've been decent. They're top 20 defensively in efficiency. So I think they'll be able to slow down this Arkansas offense a bit. And, again, Arkansas coming out, looking ahead to Missouri. It's a spot where Kentucky, as bad as they've played all year, um, it's a spot where they could take advantage of. I'm going to be playing Kentucky, and I'm going to be laying the, the small number here. So you are going to be on Kentucky, okay. Yeah, <laughs> give me another hour. I'll be back on Arkansas. Yeah, so <laughs> don't take it personally, but with all the indecisiveness, I don't think I'll be telling you on this one. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame you. But I will say, uh, you know, I could go either way. I mean, it's like we've said, there's, on one hand, the trappy line, what's going on, Kentucky keeps losing, and here they are laying a short number. You know, I guess an Arkansas team, I've been on them a little bit this year. Like, I don't think they're horrible. And so, in other words, you know, just by looking at the straight-up records, it would have to be a pretty horrible team for Kentucky to be favored. And, you know, as the more I look into it, because I haven't been in Arkansas game in a while, 14-5 and five straight up in the in the SEC. And, you know, Arkansas kind of right there in that second tier after Alabama. And maybe we want to put Missouri up there, too, after Missouri beat Bama. But nonetheless, then you look at the league, and it's Tennessee, Arkansas, Florida, LSU, you know, all, all kind of in this cluster below Alabama and Mizzou. So, yeah, it definitely feels like there's something going on here. Kentucky's lost three in a row and, you know, never have really – I mean, they're 5-12. Obviously, they suck. Um, <laughs> but it just – you know, they lost by double digits against Tennessee, and that was another line where, like, I was looking at it. I think that was four. So, you know, it, it, this has kind of been the story 
all season. Offhand, I'm going to look this up. I don't know what the line was. I see they lost by 11 against Alabama recently. Um, Probably didn't cover that game. Like, I I just don't, like, in other words, like, when I see these numbers with the big school, we expect to figure it out, and they just, I'm getting closer and closer to saying, you know what, no, like, they're not going to figure it out. But I'm trying to understand like, Bill, do we really think, I know we're talking about these blue bloods, like, Kentucky opened a one-point dog and got bet through pick and is now a two-point favorite. Do we really think that public bettors on a Monday night are slamming Kentucky the minute it opened? Like, that's what is also kind of weirding me out here. <laughs> There's a lot of weird. You just said they're 5-12. and 12. All right, again. And they did not cover that Alabama game. No, it was 7.5. Seven seven yeah. Yeah. Again, we, we said this before. If you take these two names – these two programs out, and you just give me the records. You give me a 14-5 and five team versus a 5-12 and 12 team. There is no way the 5-12 and 12 team should be favored. None. No reason whatsoever. Right. You know, it's just, do you want to buy into the fact that it's just a blue blood program and that's why it's like that because the books will still get the action the side they want it? Maybe. But, again, I think the fact that Arkansas has got Missouri up next, it's a look-ahead spot. To be honest, the, the play might actually be the first half. Because look at last game, Kentucky did come out and play well. I think they were up by like 9 or 10 at halftime on Tennessee, and Tennessee right at the ship come the second half. I think I, you know, it's Bill, that's funny you mentioned that. I'd be curious to look at whether it's Kentucky or maybe not as much as Duke, because we talked about them starting slow against Carolina. I'd be curious to look how many of these schools that are struggling overall are getting off to good starts and just blowing games in the second half. Yeah, I'd be curious with that as well. I was trying to, like, run through Kentucky real quick. There's been some like that. Like, they, they led by four against Auburn. They I know early in the season they had a national game on uh, on CBS against Notre Dame. That was the opposite. They were getting smoked and yes. almost back and won it. Yeah, yeah, but the, look, the Kansas game they lost early in the season. They were up six at half. They ended up losing outright. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of those spots. In other words, the point I'm making is but, could the straight-up record for these teams be better if they just finish games better. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. And that that can kind of go back to, like we said, these guys, these teams are well, a typical Kentucky team, right? Like, they lose a lot of guys, and, you know, they bring a lot of new, new blood in, and, you know, it's just a strange season with, you know, not being able to get all that chemistry in there and the stops and starts and stops right. and starts. And, you know, it's crazy that it's actually affecting these upper echelon programs more than it's affecting, you know, the middle-of-the-road ones. They, they kind of just – you know, went along and dealt with it. And these teams that are used to kind of being pampered all the time, they really can't roll with this punch of COVID right now and all the changes that are happening this season. So right, it's yeah. strange. It's strange. But, yeah, I, I'm going to probably be – yeah, I'm going to be back in Kentucky probably just the Plug first half. <laughs> yeah, plug my news. Check Twitter. I'll give it out as a free pick at some point. I just don't know if it's going to be first half or full game. I'm still reeling from the Ohio State Maryland game. I apologize. <laughs> I, I totally understand, and I want to. We talked about first half lines, and we talked about two SEC teams. That's where I'm going next with the Alabama Crimson Tide on the road uh, against the South Carolina Gamecocks. Full game line here, six and a half. The Tide land on the road, of course, a total of one fifty-five and a half here. There's another earlier tip off, by the way, six thirty tip in South Carolina. But I am going to play the Crimson Tide in the first half. Uh, probably end up getting my, you know, land four, four and a half would be my guess. Uh, first half line's not out as we record this pod. But this is just me having watched, you know, I'm, you know, I, I had a, uh, relatively chill Saturday and I wake up and, you know, I, um, you know, I had worked the Friday night and I'm kind of just relaxing in bed, and, you know, I'm living here in the central time zone, so, you know, 11 a.m., a lot of these games are getting started, and, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, Alabama, you know, getting clobbered by Missouri in the first half, and I ended up taking Alabama second half and catch that ticket. Uh, it's not a pick that we gave out here, of course, being mm-hmm. a second half line. Were you uh, nervous but, with that, though? Because the start of the second half, oh, I'm no, not absolutely. It's yeah. Starting. Um but having watched most of the second half and watching them come back and seeing how quickly they did it and, you know, knowing how well of how good of a job Nate Oates has done with to how quickly he's gotten that program to national prominence down there in Tuscaloosa, 
all it makes started me, with putting Coach K in his place, right? It, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it makes me think, though, that, you know, not traditionally we wouldn't think of Alabama as one of these buttoned-up programs, Virginia, Wisconsin, whoever, who just really makes you earn it against them every night. But that's kind of where I'm going here, thinking, all right, they didn't win the game against Missouri, but they erased a, you know, nearly erased a 20-plus point deficit at one point in the second half. And I think they're coming in, you know, some teams off a loss, like it it could sputter and, and cause some turmoil and it could be the start of something bad. I don't think that's the case here. I think they're coming in confident given how they ended the game, even though they didn't win. I'm hesitant to pull the trigger, and I am not going to on the full game line because this uh, end in a couple weeks, actually less than a couple weeks, about 10 days, 11 days, on February 20th, South Carolina hosts Missouri. And so these are the two games of the season for South Carolina. And, you know, they're obviously not going anywhere in the SEC. So, you know, getting seven and a half at home against an Alabama or Missouri uh, it makes me think that if the kids on South Carolina are really going to get up for a game, it would be here or against Mizzou. But I do think Alabama plays a strong first 20 minutes, given the way they ended the game against Missouri and given the way they started it. I think they'll be confident having played better at the end of the game, and they also won't want to lay an egg in the first half again. So I'll take Alabama in the first 20. Okay, yeah, I don't have a play on this, but again, this is a, another funky one a bit. Like, I wouldn't be... Sh- like, if this line came out at, like, 12 or 13, I, I, right. I wouldn't be that exactly. shocked. You know, it's that's what's kind of strange about it. So, yeah, you're handicapping the first half. I do wonder if Alabama completes that comeback. It's got to be at least double digits. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I like the idea of playing the first half there. Um, and you said, like, this Alabama program completely – turned around what they I thought they were going to be. Again, I think Alabama and Ohio State have both made me put uh, my feet in my mouth uh, from our preseason pod that we did where I said right. I thought Alabama was going to struggle. I thought Ohio State was going to struggle. Um, and they, yeah, they haven't. One seeds. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely. But I was right on Duke. I won't give yes, that up. Was. So, so we have that. We have that going for us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I approve of your first half Alabama play here. Uh, and like I said, I'm sure I'll be tailing personally at least because there's nobody hotter in gambling Twitter world right now than Greg Frank. So we'll be on that. Um, and I got uh, – And uh, go to the Big East uh, for one of the later tip-offs of the Tuesday rotation. A couple of Big East picks coming here. Uh, and Bill is going to get us started with another line that definitely catches mm-hmm. some eyebrows or opens some eyebrows, like raises eyebrows, I should say. Uh, and that's the Butler Bulldogs, a yeah. short home favorite of three, total of 139.5 as they welcome in the St. John's Red Storm. And, Bill, it's, again, one of those lines where you just say, what's going on over there? Yeah, absolutely zero, zero cents. This is a surging Red Storm team. They are on a, what, six-game win streak. Um, they knocked off. UConn at UConn, they knocked off uh, a decent Marquette team on the road. They knocked off number three Villanova at home. Um, they they were able to get, take care of business at Providence after that big Villanova win um, in a typical letdown spot there. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me why a Butler team who has not been playing good basketball by anybody's standards this season – um, I actually played them <laughs> on Saturday and uh, tweeted out – was it Saturday? Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is back on Tuesday. I tweeted out, every time that I go and back this Butler team, thinking that they're going to just surprise the team because the line's kind of funky, I get demolished. And that's what was right. happening in the Marquette game. They were playing like crap. I tweeted it out, and I wasn't even paying attention, and I got like, an alert on my phone, and somebody had responded to the tweet and said, like, and then what happens? I'm like, no way. And I looked back at it, and I saw they covered by the hook, which I was happy about. But at the same time, I'm like, was that really the spot? Like, is that really the spot where, you know, yes, they covered by the hook, but they really weren't competitive in that game, um, you know, for 85% of it. You look at this game with the Red Storm coming in and coming in, you know, playing some really, really good basketball, 
This line just doesn't add up to me. I mean, I think it at least should be the other way around and having the you know Red Storm be two and a half, three point favorites. The fact they're dogs here on in this spot just doesn't really make much sense to me. Um, you look at the trends and and St. John's has got some great trends. Um, you know, in in recent games over the last eight games, uh, they've covered the last eight overall. Uh, they've covered the last seven. Uh, following the, uh, a covered game, they've won their last six following a straight-up win. They all are kind of correlated, so you can't take all that into consideration. And then we also got 4-0 and in the last four road games. Now, I hadn't dived too deep into it, but I'm going to assume that they weren't um, big dogs in any of those. You know, I mean, they may have, I'm sorry, they may have been big dogs in some of those, um, where in this one, Again, it's odd they're a dog at all in this game, but look, Butler <laughs> doesn't belong in this. And you look back at Ken Palm a little bit, too. Butler plays pretty decent defense, top 60, 66 in the country. Um, and St. John's doesn't play much defense. They're ranked 100th in defensive efficiency. So, you know, they allow teams to hang around. Um, and I think this Butler team, you know, maybe they're turning a little bit of a corner here, trying to stay competitive. Um, well, they have no aspirations of making the tournament. That's out the window right now. Sure. Uh, but just as far as being competitive in conference play, I mean, this is where they're going to have to start their little bit of a stretch. They have home home against these guys, and they're at Georgetown. They're home against Marquette at Xavier, and then they wrap up their season, unfortunately for them, with Villanova and Creighton, you know, the two upper echelon teams in this conference. So um, if they're going to salvage anything within the season, it starts here, I think, with St. John's. Um, I'm going to be taking them, given the small number. Uh, and, again, it's going to be another plug-my-nose play. And probably won't watch it at all. Just hope to see the score later. Right. Exactly. See another cover on the on the docket for us here. Yeah, and I am going to tail this play because of oh, the lot. so much better. <laughs> there you go. I'm riding with you here. Bill, first off, I want to go back to some of the stuff you talked about with the Butler-Marquette game where Butler ended up covering. I I think that when we talk about these funky lines, I think that that's in the, that's an anomaly when it comes to these teams, because how often, like I was not feeling good tonight at halftime seeing Maryland down five, because how often do we need these teams that are the, you know, inferior straight up record that are favored or it's a shorter line than we think. We need them to – I'm not saying to necessarily bet Butler in the first half instead, but you. I just feel like you need that good start because the weirdness and the awkwardness of the spot and all that goes out the window, which is kind of what happened with Ohio State tonight. They just started playing, and it's like, well, none of that matters. You know, like they're not really in a trap or, a, you know, a funky spot on the road or whatever, which is where St. John's is here. Like – None of that comes into play if they get out early, and 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 that's why I'm surprised to hear you go through that Butler Marquette handicap or the way the game one played because that feels like the anomaly when it comes to these t- these teams that we think are funky when it comes to the numbers that are being hung on the games and right. still covering. You you with me there? No, I'm 100 percent with you. I mean that's why I also sprinkle money line in there too because right. You, know, you figure that's what's happening, right? Like you figure, like what you're saying, they're going to come out strong in the gate, out of the gate. Uh, they're going to get them, the, the you know, they're going to get the team that's a much better team on paper, you know, out of their comfort zone, out of whack because you know this doesn't seem right. We should be blowing them out. You know, we thought we'd walk in here and walk all over them, and it's not happening. And like you said, that that's when it plays out in the typical scenario. Whereas that Marquette game, no, it, it did not play out that way at all. Like, that was, you know, they were up, I think, 15 or something at one point. That was like, all right, it's over. There's no comeback there and backdoor your way with only a three-point line. Yeah, you're getting 12, 13, sure, you can get there. But three and a half didn't make much sense, and that's why you're saying you're right. It's, it is an anomaly when it happens that way. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to stay in the Big East um, and go to – uh, an interesting game, I think, in the nation's capital. Also, uh, a 9 o'clock Eastern tip. And it's the Creighton Blue Jays laying seven on the road against the Georgetown Hoyas. And I'm going to back the home dog here. Actually, excuse me, I got seven and a half, total of 150. I'm going to back the home dog. Give me Georgetown 
plus the seven and a half. Look ahead spot for Creighton against Villanova on Saturday, and I still think that applies. I don't care. I really don't care that much that Creighton lost as a 14-point favorite because I know normally, you know, the people that are going to back Creighton here are going to say, well, they lost as a 14-point favorite at home against Georgetown last week. Now they're playing Georgetown again. I, I just don't think that matters as much here. Creighton's a ranked team. We know they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Even if they, you know, win this game by one to six and don't cover, you know, it, I could see that playing out as well and the look-ahead element with them not, you know, being 80%, 75% as of what they should be here coming into play with that big game against Nova on deck. Um, so I'm not really necessarily looking at this. It's like, does Creighton really care, like, if they stick it to Georgetown or not? Yeah, they had a bad game against them last week. But as I said, when it comes to these teams that are ranked and their status as far as an NCAA at large is definitely, you know, it would take a cataclysmic collapse, you know. So they just got to win the game. And, you know, at seven, you would think they probably still do. But I, I'm not sure. I'm not saying I'm sprinkling the money line. But Georgetown's playing some good ball recently. And I do think that that matters here, kind of what with what you were saying with Butler, you know, as far as a team trying to salvage some stuff here in February, not going to the NCAA tournament, but just maybe playing its best basketball, you know, better late than never almost. Georgetown 2-1 and one, straight up last three games, 3-0 and oh against the spread. All of those games were since they were coming out of a COVID outbreak. And one of those other games actually kind of started me on this run, uh, had Georgetown plus the short number against Providence at home, which was the beginning of that three-game run that the Hoyas have been on. Um, and uh, they followed that Creighton win on the road as a 14-point dog winning outright against Creighton. They followed that up covering at Villanova. You know, mm-hmm. So I think that it's a Georgetown team that maybe found something here for one reason or another. Um, they're 86th in the nation in offensive efficiency, which, again, might not sound great. But again, we're talking about a, a team that's like 500 or maybe even a little worse than that. I haven't looked there. I think they're still they're still probably under 500. Um, yeah, I'm seeing five and nine. Five and nine. Wow. So yeah. uh, you know, still well below 500. Um, point I'm making here is they're at least competent on the offensive end of the floor, and we're seeing a total here of 151. So I think that probably suits itself well toward Georgetown. They scored 86 in the game against Creighton a week ago. So I think this is one of those spots where. You know, just get me to 80 points, and I think they can cover. Um, Creighton is worse defensively than it is on offense anyway. So that also makes me like Georgetown here. So I think they cover uh, just on the fact that they score enough here. And then just lastly, on Georgetown program-wide, they have not – I don't know if you knew this, Bill. They have – you probably did. They have not made the tournament under Patrick Ewing. Yeah. Um, he's in his fourth season there. And I'm not saying the clock's ticking or the seat's getting hot, although it may be. I, I, I don't know any Georgetown fans or follow the program that closely. But I do think that there's maybe part of the reason that they're starting to play well is that there's this sense of urgency for Ewing and his staff that they got to start winning some games. And they had that long COVID outbreak or COVID rest. Like, I imagine that that probably ran a lot of these thoughts through their heads as well. Like, we got to start figuring it out. Because obviously Georgetown, it's been a while now. But obviously the Hoyas uh, – have been a program in our lifetimes that has, you know, given people a lot of reasons to be impressed. And they haven't really done that under Ewing at all. He's in his fourth season now. So the point is, I think it's time that they start to at least give their fans a little something to be positive about moving into Ewing's fifth season. Big East is not super deep. Lenardi's got five teams in the NCAA tournament right now. So if you're if you're the Hoyas, we mentioned Butler. I think some of those teams that aren't going to make the NCAA tournament, like down the stretch here in the Big East, might look to try and create a little momentum for 2021, 2022, where they, in their hopes, will compete a little more. That's what I think is going on with Georgetown. I'll take them plus the seven. Yeah, I like I like this spot. I'm seeing Georgetown four and one as home dogs. Um, that's a nice spot to be in, and as a road favorite. And Creighton's only two and five. They haven't been that impressive. Granted, most of those lines Excuse are Excuse me, seven and a half. Yeah, so granted, some most of those lines are typically, you know, closer to double digits. Right. This being a smaller line, but I think that just shows, like you said, Georgetown's just kind of playing a little bit better basketball now. And it's funny you mentioned that about um Patrick Ewing and not making the tournament. I don't know who it was that I saw early on in the season mention how a lot of these guys that were 
big-time professional NBA basketball players that go back to college to start their coaching careers don't typically have much success. And it I guess kind of Penny was like, hasn't made it yet at Memphis, right? Right. And the first one that came to mind was Chris Mullen um, being in the same conference. Like, it's 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 a weird dynamic. Like, I think the guy was that was talking about it was basically trying to say, like, look at they don't care about the money. Like, they don't really care about their career. Like, they they already have it all made. So, like, if they start to falter a little bit, they're like, okay, not for me, and they move on. But for me, it's almost like it's it's so hard for guys at, at times that get to that that level of, of the profession, you know, like being an NBA player and having, you know, these guys are Hall of Famers. And then they go back to college and they're trying to coach – and I think it's really difficult for some of these guys to to teach. I mean, because they just have this ability. <laughs> you know, the, in their minds, it's like, no, this is easy to do. What I'm trying to tell you to do is simple because in in their mind, it, it's easy. I mean, but for these college kids that they're trying to teach, it's it's not as easy because they don't have that natural talent, that natural ability that those guys have. And I think that there's, there's sometimes a disconnect in that. Yeah. Um, and, and Ewing being in that spot, like – I saw he's like uh, recently. He's going all right for Juwan, though, in Ann Arbor. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's one of the anomalies, and that's right. what it was. it was. Whoever it was that said it was was mentioning him, saying, you know, I'll I'll, I'll eat my words on this one. He looks but like remember, he's really taking it serious. And I don't know. I, I guess Ewing was an assistant in the NBA too, but Juwan yeah. Howard was an assistant on those Miami Heat stabs that yeah. won NBA championships. Yeah, and he also spent like the last four to five years of his career kind of in that role too. You know, like he wasn't getting many minutes at all. Um, and he was like, right. Just he was the very presence, in. you know, 10th guy on the roster. Right. Exactly. Look, let's be real. Like I'm a huge Michigan guy. I'm a fat five was what got me into basketball to start my, you know, basketball fandom. But let's be real. Jawan Howard was never, I mean, he's good, but he was never, he was never at Mullen or or Ewing's uh, in the NBA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he had a chance to. He got that one big. Contract, hey, you're you're, uh, you're giving me some hope as a Temple guy that Aaron McKee is going to be the same way then. Yeah, he's another one. Look, I, yeah, I mean, I expect a little more great. out of him, but yeah, it hasn't been great. But yeah, he's in a tough spot anyway. But so yeah, I think that's a it's an interesting dynamic that we see. And hey, maybe this is where Ewing's turned the program around. He felt the seat getting hot, and he's like. No, That's what I'm saying. Pot. Had like three weeks of a COVID break, and yeah. and now all of a sudden they're playing with a fire lit under their ass. Yeah, yeah. I, I like this spot. I again, personal tale. Hottest guy in gambling <laughs> Twitter. Got to do it. Down. Plus who, seven and a half. I want to wrap up. Going from Mac McClung's old team to his Ooh, current. Look at and that transition. Look at that. And we we plan them out. Alex has always said it. He thinks I do the transitions well. Um, Texas Tech Red Raiders is where I'm going for my last pick in Lubbock. They're laying five and a half, six. I got six, a total of 140 and a half. This is more of a fade of West Virginia than it is a buy on Texas Tech. Um, but I will say, too, first off, we talked a little bit about it. I mentioned it with the Georgetown, uh, Georgetown Creighton total being what it is at 151 confident enough that Georgetown could score enough to cover that number. and The total kind of indicates that. Sometimes we'll look for hints on the side as far as the total. And the total here, I think, is a little bit of a hint as well at 140 and a half. I looked because, you know, I watched West Virginia on Saturday. We were on them against Kansas, and they got us the cash. And it was a high-scoring game. And I was just curious, you know, it feels like, is a little bit of a, a, an awkward season for the Mountaineers because they're winning a lot and they're in that tier below Baylor in the Big 12 or you can make a case for them or you can make a case for Texas Tech or whoever, Oklahoma. Um, but they're winning, like, shootouts, you know, high-scoring games. Yeah. And normally we look at West Virginia, you know, Press Virginia. They're going to turn you over and they're going to, you know, have some big guy, whether it's the um, – I'm drawing a blank, uh, Diacate or uh, yeah. the guy that yeah. could block shots, yeah. you know. Some big rim protector, and they're not going to be an outside shooting team, and they're going to grind you down every possession. When even when you do get past half court, and they're going to win the game, fifty-eight, fifty-five. Well, it kind of—it's the opposite this year. The over is eight and two in their last ten, and in those ten games, there's been an average total points 
uh, of 150.1. So clearly, West Virginia, there's a comfort level that they have with playing higher scoring games. One of them was against Texas Tech. Um, the Red Raiders winning, or excuse me, the Mountaineers winning a uh, 88-87 decision just a few weeks ago, uh, back on uh, the end of January. So now it's like, well, the 10 games that they played, as I said, over 8-2, 150 points per game total on average, and the total here's 140 and a half. So it's a 10-point move off what the West Virginia games have been averaging, and obviously the Red Raiders have kind of been that team that I just described is what West Virginia is we're used to seeing. Chris Beard really got them to buy in to what he was selling defensively, and that's what really got them to make that deep run in the Final Four the last time we had an NCAA tournament all the way to the National Championship game. And sure enough, Texas Tech averages 74 points per game, but only allows 62, a tick under that at 61.7. So seeing this total where it was made me think that if we're going to see fewer points, again, not saying to bet it under because it is a considerable move off of the numbers we've been seeing put up in West Virginia games, if with the total where it's at, if we're going to see fewer points, then Texas Tech would be the side. The Red Raiders are 13th in defensive efficiency. So, again, I think that they can harness the Mountaineers a little on the uh, offensive end of the floor and keep this game in the upper 60s, low 70s, something like that. Uh, and again, Vegas expecting fewer points makes me like the defensively sound team that's better on that end of the floor in a revenge spot, having lost by one. Um, and also, Bill, we've talked about it. We've been going through West Virginia games the last couple pods. They are in a just a brutal run here in the Big 12. And they, they got the win at home against Kansas. Uh, and for what it's worth, Baylor and Oklahoma do have to go to Morgantown. So maybe the Mountaineers are live there at home. This feels like the spot. And, and um, they also have Texas, uh, who, granted, is on the road. But that's the revenge spot for West Virginia, having lost by two points in Morgantown against them. So this kind of feels like the spot where West Virginia lets down a little. We know they're going to lose a game here in this brutal gauntlet that they have running through the Big 12 before the Big 12 tournament. I think it's here, and I really think that West Virginia could be a bit of a square dog. Everybody saw, you know, one of the big stories in college, in sports this week was Kansas in the new poll being out of the top 25. You might have seen them. It was a CBS nationally televised game. West Virginia beats them, and, and there was a little bit of a time when the game was in doubt in the second half, but the Mountaineers were definitely the side there. So they beat them, and then here's Texas Tech kind of trudging along, you know, back-to-back non-covers against Kansas State and Oklahoma. So not a lot of, you know, not very impressive, but winning the games. And I think this is where the bear wakes up for the Red Raiders. And again, like I said, not as many people, I think, looking at Kansas State and Oklahoma uh, as far as the opponents for Texas Tech as opposed to that Kansas-West Virginia game, which obviously had a lot more eyes on it. Now people are going to see West Virginia getting six. Um, no, no thanks for me. I won't bite. I'll take the other side. Red Raiders, guns up, minus the six. Long-winded handicap there, but I land on Texas Tech. What did you say real quick before we get out of here? What did you say the the total was the last time they met? Did you have that? I did not. Well, off offhand, I'll look it up. I did not have that. Um, but the final score was eighty-eight to eighty-seven. So yeah, I mean, definitely went Virginia over. Win. But I am curious what. I am curious what the total was because, like you said, this that that total being sub one forty does make you lean towards well, a little Texas over now, like five one forty and a half. Okay, yeah, still, so it's I mean relatively relatively low compared to what you said. What West Virginia has done offensively. I'm looking at some trends here, and <laughs> nine and zero to the over Mountaineers last nine games versus. Uh, Above 500 teams. So suppose the counter argument build of what everything I just said would be that the total was 136 in that Texas Tech West Virginia game in Morgantown back on January 25th. Interesting. Okay. So, so yeah, it does go a little. But obviously, bit of- since then, West Virginia totals against Florida 146, against Iowa State 146, against Kansas 142, all way over. Right, right, and like you said, it's a revenge spot too for Tech, and and the biggest thing really is what you said with the stretch, 
that West Virginia's got here. Like this would be the spot that they're going to take a look at. They're good enough to where they could. They could I mean, run as, the table. Yeah, as crazy as that sounds. When you're so we talked when you're, about it with Baylor, right, about where they could maybe have a hiccup. I could definitely see it being at West Virginia. Yeah, 100%. And, um, yeah, I, I just think Texas Tech, this is a spot where they can get done. The number, it just seems too good for me, to be honest. Like, okay. I, I could see it just being, you know, Texas Tech winning but not covering. Um, but if I'm going to have to take a side here, I'd be playing Texas Tech. So I'm not going to be playing it personally. Fair enough. But I, I will take you first. as I look to you as being the one that's going to get the job done in this game. So it's probably the smart play. There he is, Bill Christie. You know him as Lucha Larry on Gambling Twitter at Larry's Locks Two to shoot him a follow. And as you have heard, I am doing pretty well recently. Shoot me a follow as well, Greg Frank at Undercover Greg for all my gambling picks. Bill, it's been fun. Let's hopefully keep this train rolling, and uh, we'll talk on Friday night for another Saturday pod. Sounds good. Shoot the podcast to follow as well as our producer and jack of all trades, Alex Uplinger, follow, manages the Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. This has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Everyone enjoy your Tuesdays. And, of course, please play responsibly. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.